This is Graham Lynch for Comms Day Live. Welcome to the show. Now this week, we're going to look at the topic of national broadband measurement programs. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission runs one called Measuring Broadband Australia, where the UK test company Sam Knows puts white boxes out into a sample base of users, between 1,000 and 1,500 as it so happens, and, and they measure the speeds that those users get on their MBN and other broadband services. Now, it's a controversial scheme. Comms Alliance, for example, the industry lobby group, wants it reviewed because they think the sample size is too small for the cost, which gets passed on to industry. But in a new development, the status of this program and others in markets such as the UK has been called into question by a new research paper written by academics and a graduate student from the University of New South Wales. The contention of their paper is that these programs uh, are characterised by excessive sample bias and errors in their methodology. This paper makes an argument that we should be measuring quality of user experience instead of just headline speeds, and also specifically variables such as jitter and latency. Now, joining me to discuss this is Dr. Fijay Savaraman. He's one of the co-authors of the paper, and he's also the co-founder of Cannabis Networks. He spoke with me earlier this week. Yeah, well, first and foremost, um, ultimately, people look at the headlines that they put out, um, which is, you know, who's the winner? Ultimately, as a consumer, consumer wants to know what's the best RSP out there, right? And, and I, I suppose that is the objective of the program, to inform people on what the relative performance of these ISPs is. But... We all forget, and the community as a whole doesn't discuss the underlying assumptions, firstly, around how we get to these results. And to illustrate that, let me take a very simple example. If I were to ask you who's the fastest man on earth, you would probably uh, say it's Usain Bolt. Mm. And that is correct, provided we both agree we are measuring it over a 100-meter race. Mm. Uh, we are doing it on a flat surface. Uh, and by the way, it's not a relay race. It's one person running the race. And these are assumptions we somehow tacitly have when we speak of people running in the Olympics. But when you do a speed test, there are many factors that are simply not talked about. What is the congestion control algorithm used underneath? What is the number of threads that are used for the test? How long is the test run for? You know, if it's run for a 100-meter sprint, Usain Bolt is the winner. But hey, if it's a 42-kilometer race, I'm sorry, he's not the fastest. Kipchoge mm. is the fastest, right? Yeah. So the point is that you get different results under different conditions. And even though we implicitly know them when it's an Olympic race, when it comes to speed test measurements, nobody even acknowledges the existence of these conditions. And in fact, they're not even documented. For one, you know, there is no published documentation on the congestion control algorithms that Samnos platform uses, for example. It has a certain number of threads that it uses, number of TCP threads in, in parallel. Um, but as we showed in the paper, you could run the task with Ookla, you could run it with iperf, you could run it with FAST, and you get different results. And the point is that as a consumer, if I'm seeing results and not being informed of all these conditions, I'm going only getting a very partial view. So that's one side of the problem. The other side of the problem is when you run these large national kind of uh, measurement frameworks, your sample sizes due to various constraints, you know, needing volunteers and the costs end up being relatively small. And even a, a couple of thousand is actually a very small sample because the moment you start slicing and dicing the data by you know, how many were on a particular ISP? Oh, were they on a 50 meg or 100 meg or a 250 meg plan? Oh, which state were they in? Oh, which access technology were they using? Were they fiber to the curb, fiber to the node? By the time you start slicing and dicing, 
and you say, I want results for one operator in one region on one access technology on one speed tier, your sample sizes start falling down into the tens. And it simply does not have the statistical significance. And even worse, the size of the sample set can vary across operators. So you're when you're trying to compare, and we have some very, very um, real examples in the paper, for example, when the 100 uh, and download and 40 upload uh, speed tier was compared um, in Australia, we found that Aussie broadband actually was massively oversampled on the FTTN technology. And lo and behold, FTTN in general has the highest variation. So the question you have to ask is, is the result an artifact of your sampling bias, or is it really a true reflection that uh, one network is better or worse than the other? So we just believe that the results are riddled with so many problems and hidden assumptions that nobody talks about that we really question the credibility of the results. Now, now I mean, th this wouldn't be so important, would it, except that, well, two things I can see uh, are issues here. The first is that these results are often um, exploited by ISPs in their advertising to bo boast of their relative advantages over others. And of course, if there's a sampling bias, it disadvantages some, that's quite unfair. But the second problem I see as well is that, that these sorts of results inform government policy and regulatory decisions and, and uh, around quality of service regulation, around M&A, around the prices that can be charged for different services. You know, there's all sorts of things which are influenced by perceptions of whether networks are operating at the right speeds or not and, and, and whether ISPs are offering value for money. So, so do, do you... Do you, do you share those sentiments that there, there are ramifications from having uh, biased data out there? Absolutely so. Um, I mean, obviously, as an academic, um, I can speak more to the, the quality and the validity of the results and the conclusions, maybe not so much on the commercial and the regulatory implications. But for one, I do believe it has an impact on customer or consumer psyche. I mean, when an operator claims that, look, we are number one on this national measurement program, it's seen as a stamp of validation. And I can tell you for a fact, having talked to many of the operators in Australia and overseas, many of them do not understand why they are number one or why they're not number one. They themselves don't know what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong. And they're really scratching their head saying, how did I end up there? I mean, that's great, we are number one, but why are we there? Or conversely, we are spending a lot of money, we are the premium brand, and yet we are not number one. What's wrong here? Frankly, they do not know. Nobody knows because ultimately underlying there are all these biases and problems and measurement, uh, you know, uh, test conditions that influence the results. And the results are just in the few percent. I mean, it's not like one operator is twice as fast as the other. The results are all in a few percent and all within not just statistical noise, but influenced by these biases, which they have no control over because these are picked through volunteer programs. So in the end, it's uh, I personally believe it's, it's causing a lot of wastage of time to begin with because operators are scratching their head, running around trying to figure out why they are or are not number one. Obviously, uh, consumer behavior can be manipulated based on the results, and they keep flipping, you know, every few quarters. And again, nobody knows why. Um, and and I'm sure there are broader implications, but uh, but fundamentally, uh, I think you know, uh, given where we are uh, with advances in technology, maybe we're just focusing too much on the wrong thing. We're just obsessed with something um, which really is not so relevant anymore. Okay, so so specifically, what you're saying we're obsessed with is headline speed, uh, and you're you're saying your thesis, if I've read it correctly, is that you you want a more well-rounded look at user experience. So so 
what shape should that take? Yeah, that's a very good question. And, and probably um, it would have been a very complex answer a few years back because experience is a very nebulous thing, right? What does experience actually mean for me as a consumer? But I think with um, advances in technology and some of the work we ourselves have been doing in the company Canopus Networks that I lead, we believe it is actually possible to measure experience accurately. And by that, we mean if you're watching a streaming video, what matters to you is, are you getting a good resolution? Because you've just gotten bought a nice 4K TV, you have upped your Netflix plan to get the best possible resolution, and lo and behold, your, your, your video is all grainy. Or you're getting a buffering event, a spinning wheel in your video. You definitely don't like that. Even worse, gamers, and you know I have a particular passion or a soft spot for gaming, um, you're really um, upset that the latencies that you're getting in your game are high. And gaming is something, and most people are quite surprised to hear this, is often just a stream that's in the kilobits per second. So if you're playing a Counter-Strike or a Call of Duty, your stream is you know, in the order of 100, 200 kilobits per second, not megabits, kilobits per second. And so bandwidth is really not the issue, but latency is an issue, and that can be a very uh, dynamic entity, depending on where the game servers are located and so on, and who you're teaming up with. Um, and also the stability of the network in terms of, uh, you know, is the latencies and the, and the jitters fairly stable or are they fluctuating around because your, your silly dad started a Dropbox, uh, you know, sync at the same time as you started a game, which by the way has happened in my house. And it's extremely frustrating because my son gets kicked out of the game and he's banned from playing the game for 30 minutes because he's spoiling the experience for everybody else. So you can imagine um, he's fuming around the house saying, why did he have to do the Dropbox things at the same time? So um, point is, experience can be measured. Um, and we ourselves have developed some technology to accurately measure video in terms of resolution and buffer freeze, gaming in terms of latencies and jitter spikes. Uh, and likewise, you know, we have done work with conferencing, measure glitches, dropouts, stutters. Um, we have also very recently looked at the metaverse and we are finding it incredibly more complex than your streaming video or gaming. Uh, in fact, a, a, a normal metaverse session of 45 minutes talks to about 2000 different servers. So understood that there is a lot of complexity, but the technology is now in place to be able to do what we call passive monitoring and measurement of experience. And it's done under very natural conditions. It's, it's like the difference between watching a lion in a, in a cage in the zoo, which is what kind of active testing is. You're putting the network under synthetic conditions versus watching that same animal in the wild and how it behaves, which is what we strongly believe is absolutely necessary. Um, maybe not a replacement for active testing, but definitely as a complement to it. Okay, now I was just looking at the ACCC's um, measuring broadband report, and they they do purport to measure um, quality of experience. So what they do is take an an arbitrary number for what they think a Netflix service needs, and divide it into the speed of of the actual user, and then use that to create a sort of integer of um, uh, how many Netflix services a household can watch concurrently, and that's what determines their quality of experience ranking. What, why is yeah. that an incorrect methodology? Well, I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but if you put that in an academic paper, I can assure you it's not going to get, going to get accepted by the community. Uh, that may be a theoretical calculation, um, and it may all sound good on paper. You just take the average bandwidth required by, the, by a video stream and you put it in there, or for a game or for anything else. The reality, firstly, is in the world is, is very different. A video stream doesn't operate at a constant bit rate of whatever it is, 5 or 10 or 15 megabits per second. It works by downloading chunks. So it has a kind of a, a heartbeat-like you know, pulse on the network. 
And what happens is when it interferes with another traffic stream, for example, uh, as I said, if I decide to do a Dropbox sync or you know, my son decides to download the, the new version of uh, Counter-Strike, which has just launched, um, it's going to take bandwidth away from uh, the video for sufficiently long for my buffer to deplete and I'll get the spinning wheel on my video. And it does happen on, on uh, weekend evenings and the likes, right? So just uh, doing a back of the envelope calculation and saying that is experience is not how it is in the real world. In the real world, applications are dynamic. The internet can have a lot of traffic, you know, uh, you know that that could be intermixing uh, with each other and affecting experience. So unless one actually tries it in the real world and measures it, I would not believe it. Plus, coupled with the fact that these over-the-top players are constantly tweaking their algorithms, um, there are constant changes to you know how the, um, the application behaves. It also depends on parameters like how much buffering you have on your video. If you're buffering just a few seconds, like in live video stream, live sport, then you're much more likely to experience a, a jitter, a, 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 sorry, a, a spinning wheel or a buffering event, as opposed to a, a, a on-demand video where you may have up to four minutes of video buffer. So there are just so many factors in the real world that this simplistic, uh, you know, here's the average bandwidth and that's what you need need doesn't quite uh, cut it in the real world from an experience perspective. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and uh, one of your other contentions, and, and you talked about this at some length at an Osnog presentation that you gave at the end of last year, was that the, the focus on speed alone as the determinant of whether a telecommunication service is good or not, um, you know, at, at, to the detriment of other measures such as latency and so on, that it's actually um, economically damaging to the telco industry. So can you expand on that idea? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I'll uh, I'll preface it by saying I'm, I'm not an economist, but I'm just going by what I see in the real world, which is as operators kind of trip over each other to offer a higher speed service, I think first and foremost, um, and they would know this better than I, the economics of it um, has to be understood because obviously providing that extra speed comes at an additional cost, but does the user really want to bear that additional cost or not? In the end, the user really just cares about economics. Um, and you know, if they get a good experience on whatever they are looking to do, be it gaming or doing video or you know, augmented or virtual reality, uh, they are happy. Um, so I think you've seen me also speak about the value of, of the traffic that's going through the network. As an example, I think we, we did a, just a, a study on over a month, you know, how much traffic goes over the network. You know, a broadband service provider would, you know, be um, on average um, charging of the order of about 25 cents or so um, on a per uh, megabyte basis. Um, but if you look at the value of the traffic, you look at streaming video, that's probably slightly higher, 20% higher. But gaming stands at about $35 per uh, gigabyte, I believe. So that's about 250 times more precious. So I think one of the, you know, the issues with just focusing on speed is, yes, you'll make the pipe bigger, but what is the pipe being filled with? Is it being filled with low value traffic, such as you know large downloads, operating system updates, in which case you really are not giving that extra value to the user. Uh, really, the um, what the user cares about and probably are willing to, to pay for is that experience on those really critical applications, which need not be speed hungry. Yeah, and, and the, the point being made by the value that you're ascribing to what they pay for those OTT services, where clearly it's the, the gaming that creates the value and, and not the streaming and, and, and the automatic software downloads. Yeah, yeah so the point taken there. Okay, well, look, thank you very much for um, sharing your ideas with us, Vijay. It's uh, very interesting. And um, we must do this again sometime. 
Absolutely. And thank you very much for raising these issues in comps. I absolutely love it. That's Thanks, what we man. do. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. Now, moving on, um, change at the top of focus, Australia's fourth largest telco. Uh, Kevin Russell, who's been the CEO for five years, announced his retirement this week at the end of the month. And the replacement um, for him is the current chief operating officer, Ellie Sweeney, who's been there for four years and she's been promoted to the top job. Now, of course, focus... Um, used to be a publicly listed company, but now it's owned by a consortium of Macquarie and Aware Super. And uh, it's, it's a vindication of what um, Kevin Russell achieved there, that they've, they've moved to an internal candidate to replace him, obviously a validation of the ongoing strategy. I had uh, the opportunity to speak with Ellie this week and uh, talk with her about some of the challenges and priorities that she sees um, will be paramount when she takes up the new position in a few weeks. Graham, I, mean, I think I'd say, and, and, you know, I've been at Focus for four years now and uh, and it's been fabulous as a CEO to have been part of that turnaround of the business and then the strategy, which is, is what you've seen in the press release around that $1 billion investment over the next five years. Oh. And from our perspective, and you've, you've seen all of that, the Project Horizon, you've seen Project Highclere, uh, the extension of the Northwest Cable System out to East Timor and Indonesia as well. I mean, that in itself creates, you know, greater reach of fiber infrastructure in that West Coast, which is, West part of Australia rather, which is just so important for us. And if you think about those areas where we have played in, so the resources sector, uh, OTT, the uh, mining oil and gas, what we're doing around federal government, um, what we're doing around Leo as well. You know, that really opens up a couple of things. It opens up that Darwin as a regional hub. It opens up Singapore, Jakarta, Darwin, and giving just more access into critical infrastructure to Australia. So I think that is in itself really exciting. Uh -huh. The East Coast cable system, which we mentioned as well, yeah. you know, again, another route for, uh, for customers, be it you know, government, be it with the OTT players, be it, you know, large corporates as well. So, again, super exciting about that. In terms of when we talk about land, sea, and then space, and again, you would have read, and I know you, you covered a story earlier this week about the acquisition of Challenge, um, the work that we're doing and the partnership we have with Starlink, the investments that we're making in, in low-Earth orbit satellites. So I think from, from me, you know, one of the really big things, and obviously at the same time, as I've mentioned a couple of times, in, um, in Comstay is the upgrading of our intercapital networks yeah. as well and launching 400 gig. So I think from my perspective, you know, that, that expansion of digital infrastructure is just really critical, being able to expand into space, critical the work we're doing around digitization, uh, and that's both for our focus network services and our, um, our retail teams as well. And the consolidation of work we've been doing over many years around improving the customer experience um, across our business, and that's whether you're an enterprise, government, wholesale, OTT, or in our retail business as well. So it's it's really been wonderful to have been part of the strategy, part of the turnaround, and that continuity of being able to now execute and deliver and bring to life, I think, that one billion of investment. Continuity of strategy, ability to hit the ground running, execute against that strategy. And then from a cultural perspective, as you know, Vocus is a real challenger and we pride ourselves on being a challenger. We pride ourselves on that bias of action, a real sense of urgency, 
a passion for the customer, um, what we can do to deliver critical connections in Australia. So I think, you know, the, the benefit of, of this is really having been part of it, I can turn my head to that execution. And that was Ellie Sweeney, the new CEO of Focus. That's it for Comms Day Live this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you next time.